Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30 night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. It is the year 2023. Just kidding. Psych. It is still 2022 when we're recording this. But if you're hearing this, it's like January something of, of 23. And we're here. We're having a good time. My name is Gabrielle Hakoen. Hi, I am cult expert Sadie Carpenter. Cult expert Sadie Carpenter. You know, I just changed Sadie's name in my phone to Sadie Carpenter cult expert. And I did that intentionally. Because uh, so that it could say SCSC, uh, I mean SCCE, so that it doesn't change your initials. So have your first name as Sadie Carpenter and your last name oh, is Colt Expert. Oh, nice. But then it saves the initials. Yeah, it still says from SC. And so I'm like, I know who that is, but you know, uh, that's, that's, yeah. Very clever. Yeah. So today we have a bit of a less culty topic to talk about than last week. Cause last week we talked about Jim Jones. It was a big bummer. It was a whole, ugh, a lot of research that Sadie mostly did this week. I did a lot of research into something that I find really interesting. And what is that topic for today? So we are going to be talking about what did Jesus look like and depictions of Jesus. I find this topic really interesting um, because we're going to talk about what who who were the ancient Israelites, who were the the people living in Judea in the uh in the first century um and the time slightly before that. Um yeah, there is a lot to get into here. And of course I'll share with you the IFB rules on the depictions of Jesus and what I grew up with as well. And I think I think there will be a lot of interesting interesting things to talk about. Yeah, I'm really excited for that. But before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is a podcast about my BFF 
and, and co-host Sadie Carpenter's Life in and Escape from the Independent Fundamental Baptist Cult, the cult in which she was raised. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you are a fan of our show, there are numerous things that you can do to support it. Number one, easiest thing to do, hit that follow, hit that subscribe button. That's the thing that really helps us get the most followers, the most listens, because uh, the more people we have subscribed to it, it'll the the Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever people are listening, the algorithm will recommend this show to people who listen to other shows that you'll listen to. So if you want more people to know about it, that's an easy thing that you can do. Uh, and, and it, it takes zero effort to do that. Um, you can also join our Patreon where we have extended and uncensored and ad free versions of most of our episodes, which is great, which is super fun. Love it. Uh, and, and that's all up there as well, as well as some of Sadie's writings about topics like what does an actual cult survivor think of the handmaid's tale? So if you're a new listener and you want to read that then you can join our patreon at patreon.com slash leaving eden podcast you can join our facebook group which is facebook.com slash groups slash eden exodus or our subreddit which is reddit.com slash r slash eden exodus both of these are great places to join in the discussion with other fans of the show and sadie and i also chime in there pretty frequently especially in the facebook group that's like our main fan forum where we talk about stuff and it's a lot of fun Anything else that we want to talk about before uh, I thank the patrons? Uh, I want to remind people that the Vashti Initiative is doing the Spiritual Abuse Awareness Month Forum. It's a virtual online discussion with two authors who have written about spiritual abuse. It's uh, hosted by friend of the pod, guest of the pod, Evan Jones, who we love. Uh, And if you would like to purchase tickets to that the promo code is EDEN for 50% off, E-D-E-N, EDEN. Uh, we would love to see some of y'all there. That's fantastic. So excited to hear that. I'm just going to thank our patrons, um, our, our Faith Promise Mission, and I gave it all to your patrons, Kathleen Moncrief and Melissa Mosley. What can I say about Kathleen and Melissa that hasn't already been said about Maya Angelou? That sentence threw me for a loop. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you guys, I, I do love Maya Angelou and I also love Kathleen and Melissa. Thank you guys so much. Chuck uh, got a little, the little people, it's a toddler toy brand, but she got the little people inspiring women set for Christmas and it's got a little figurine of Dr. Maya Angelou. Hell yeah. yeah That's it's fantastic. It's um, Amelia Earhart, Maya Angelou, Rosa Parks and Sally Ride. Fantastic. Yeah. She's been having fun with those. Wow. That's that's incredible. Uh, uh, two, uh, I guess, aerospace-related individuals. That's uh, that, that, that's an interesting thing, but very cool. Actually, I love that there's a song called Sally Ride from Janelle Monae's 2014 album called uh, The Electric Lady. If you ever listen to that, if you're a fan of Janelle Monae's music, there's a song on that album called Sally Ride. It's a fantastic song. I really love it. Um but I need to thank our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons, uh, Alex Todd, Allison MacArthur, Anisha Patel, Brittany, Brooke Tully, Krissa, Crystal Patterson, Dear Ethan Hansen, The Musical, Eleanor Donahue, Elizabeth DeWorth, Emery Fairlosser, Hannah Ross, Hope Norum, 
Horton hears a Shane. I'm just here to send Sadie true crime podcast suggestions, AKA Meg Janine Collin, Janine Collin. That's a brand new one. Thank you so much. Janine. Yeah, welcome Janine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to, uh, to being a faith promise missions tier patron. I need to figure out a way to make fun of your name. And so I'll try to do that <laughs> next time. Um, Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo, Jonna, Jonathan Miller, Kay Terwee, Kristen Marie, Lauren Vanderwall, Linda Morgan, Lindsay Goss, Lorena Watson, MC Crunch Rap, hashtag the boy who cried sauce, Michaela Upright, Madeline Antrim, Madeline Cusick, Mar- Marlena Stuve, Mary Williams, Mary Martin, Megan Arendt, Miranda Day, Rebecca, Rob the Methodist, Sarah Reese, Scooby Sleuth, Stephanie Johnson, Susie, Tara McNamara, the Lady Rabbi, part of the clergy crew. Woo, 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 cr- uh, clergy crew represent swag out the game. Tiffany Enderby, Walnut Son of Walnut, Wendy Dalton, West the Cowboy. That's all of them. Yeah, thank you so much to our I Gave It All tier and Faith Promised Missions tier patrons and to everybody who supports us over on Patreon and to everyone who supports us in other ways like recommending our podcast to other people, posting about us, sharing us on social media, leaving us good reviews, all of it. We really appreciate uh, what we've been able to build and it's primarily because of our fans. One other person I want to thank before we we do this, um, at like five days ago, five days ago was the 25th. We're recording this on December 30th. Five days ago was the 25th, AKA uh, Christmas for all of the people. Oh, you mean who Christian Hanukkah? Yeah. Christian right. Hanukkah. Uh, that's, that's the day it is the 25th. Um, uh, uh, listener to the show slash guest of the show, uh, uh, Shoshana Fagan, Dr. Shoshana Fagan, excuse me, was worried that I might be lonely and invited me to her sister's house for a Hanukkah party that day, that evening, because her sister lives in Philadelphia and it was fantastic. Um, and I just want to say on the podcast, Shoshana, thank you for being excellent. And it was wonderful to actually get to meet you in person. And, and, um, I, I, I just, I just love that. I love the, I love feeling like I'm part of a community and I really do feel like the leaving Eden podcast, we, we have a community, uh, and that's, that's wonderful. And I really love knowing that people are taking care of you out in Philly. Yeah. Because, uh, you're sadly too far away. I did get Sadie's present, uh, which was a nice decanter. I haven't mailed yours yet because it's been cold here and I only just got enough packing materials, but it'll be in the mail at some point soon. Um, so that's okay. If that's, you wait another month, it'll be a birthday present. Yeah, that's true. But then I'll, you know what I might do? I might get you something else and then have it be a combination, uh, Christmas and birthday present. Um, well, that is fine. Yeah. yeah. Should I hit you with a trigger warning and get moving on this episode? So in general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on our show, including but not limited to suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD, PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical, and sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we'll mention at least a few of these topics, but we really try to avoid graphic detail unless it's necessary to the story that we are telling in that particular episode. 
And we also give you a heads up before we get into anything uh, more graphic than simply mentioning those topics. This episode is probably going to be pretty light on the triggers. Um, I can't think of anything that we're going to get into. Other there, There's um, some general racism, just a tiny smidge of homophobia, but th- those aren't the main um, topics of this episode by any means. Today we are talking about depictions of Jesus and what what did Jesus look like possibly. And I find this topic to be very interesting because as we know, we uh and and as Sadie and I just discussed in great detail on the Patreon, um we just had the Christmas season. You know those memes that say Jesus was a brown-skinned man born under colonial oppression. Yeah. We're also hot off the heels of Kanye West and Kyrie Irving going full black Hebrew Israelite and saying that ancient Israelites were black. And also we just know how much white evangelicals love their Obi-Wan Kenobi looking Jesus pictures. So I, I do want to point out, I know that people like you and me get social media feeds full of the Jesus was a brown skinned man born under colonial oppression thing and that it can seem really repetitive And I also understand that it's not relevant to you personally, and I respect that. But it is a worthwhile and correct thing to say. I get that like, if you follow the people on socials that we do, you're just going to see a lot of it. It's just every other post, it seems like. But there was a time in my life when that was new and mind-blowing information to me. So I don't want to on that too much because there are still a lot of people to whom that would be new and mind-blowing information, and it's worth it for that information to reach them. But what Jesus may or may not have looked like is a big topic of conversation at the moment. But I want to know, what were you taught about what Jesus looked like in the IFB? So I do think it's extremely interesting that the IFB do not ban visual depictions of Jesus. Similar sects of Christianity and fundamentalist sects of other religions have often been known for banning all images of God or divinity, uh, or even all images of people like the Amish and certain Muslims do. The IFB has no restrictions on depictions of human beings and does allow images of Jesus. There are just a lot of highly specific rules. about how you can portray Jesus. So tell me these rules. So uh, I want to tell you what the what the IFB actually said Jesus looked like first. So I was taught that we did not know exactly specifically what he would have looked like uh, in the sense of, well, no picture painted of him could really be accurate because there are no surviving portraits of Jesus and he probably never had a portrait done. Which which makes sense. There are a lot of historical figures that we have descriptions of, but we don't have a completely accurate picture of them. But I was taught that Jesus would have been a brown-skinned man with a beard and choppy short hair, and that he would have been about five foot six inches tall. That picture, you know that picture that goes around that says, uh, this is what archaeologists say Jesus would have looked like. You've seen that picture. We've yeah, all seen it's that like picture. an AI generated, I think. Um, and we'll put this, um, all of the pictures that we're going to talk about, all the images that we're going to talk about today, we're going to put in our, um, in, on our Instagram so you can, you can look at those. But this is the one that we're talking about. Um, that is roughly what I would, was taught. A lot of IFB-specific or IFB-created images of Jesus would show his skin to be a little lighter and his features a little more European 
than that specific image that we've been seeing going around, but not by much. When I say a little, I really do mean a little. They're not at all trying to portray white Jesus. In fact, the IFB specifically preaches against the Renaissance images that you may have seen of Jesus with very European features and long, curly, blonde hair. That's the good part. (laughs) The bad part is why they preach about these images and the words that they use when they do preach about these images. Can I take a guess as to why? Oh, please do. Is it because of the Catholics? Yeah, that's about half of it. (laughs) It's more than half of it. It's mostly because of the Catholics. If we do the opposite of the Catholics, we'll be be good. Um, So, outside of the Catholic problem, the IFB's main issue with images of white European Jesus is that he doesn't look manly enough. Uh, I'm going to use a mild homophobic slur here, uh, but they commonly, they would refer to this as sissy Jesus, along with some other more colorful language that I do not care to repeat on this podcast or anywhere. Jesus with lace on his underwear? Yeah. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) This is usually, this is usually followed by a rant about how Jesus would have been physically strong from working in carpentry, how his hands would have been rough, that sort of thing. Uh, And then it winds up with because dying on the cross for our sins is the manliest thing that anyone has ever done. So, <laughs> so I kind of look at wow. this. I mean, but they are, they're not incorrect. I mean, Jesus is more likely to look uh, a bit rougher and a bit browner than those images portray. This is kind of like an algebra assignment where someone did all the work completely wrong, but s- somehow still got close to the right answer. You know what I'm imagining now? I'm imagining like a sexy Jason Momoa looking Jesus. Oh, I can get with that. <laughs> Put Jason Momoa up on the cross, man. You're gonna, I mean, you're not gonna have problems with women leaving the IFB anymore. Yeah. <laughs> or some men. There's some men. That's true. So the other, the other main problem, of course, that the IFB has with Renaissance images of Jesus is that they're Catholic. The IFB really hates Catholic art, and they come up with a lot of backhanded reasons to say that they hate it other than it's just Catholic, although they'll say that too. Like most reasons the IFB hates the Catholics, this reason once again comes down to a theological difference between what the IFB believes and what they think Catholics believe. I'm pretty sure I've talked about this before, but the IFB think that the Catholics believe that every mass crucifixion is repeated that Jesus is sacrificed again for the sins of the people taking part in that Mass, which is completely incorrect. The Catholic belief is that Jesus' sacrifice is eternal because it covers all sins at all times and all places. So the crucifixion and Jesus' sacrifice take place outside of space and time. So for your for you uh, Doctor Who fans out there, Basically, Catholics believe that Jesus died in a TARDIS. So when Mass is said, it's not re-crucifying Jesus over and over again every time a Mass is said. It's tapping into that eternal sacrifice that is ongoing because it is at all places and all times. I said that the IFB doesn't totally ban images of Jesus, but that there are a lot of rules The primary one is that he uh, doesn't look effeminate or Catholic. I want to run you through the rest of these rules. As a disclaimer, this is just my church and churches that I knew growing up 
Although I have been in dozens, if not probably hundreds of IFB church buildings in my day. Um, so I have seen a lot. There are always going to be outliers who did something a little bit differently. Especially, I'm going to explain to you how this is more of a gray area in IFB rules and teachings than, say, women wearing pants is. I'm looking forward to having people sound off in the Facebook group about what was similar in their churches or what was different in their churches to my experience in the IFB. Okay, go for it. So I think the most noticeable common IFB rule about depictions of Jesus, uh, other than not looking too effeminate or Catholic, is that they shouldn't be hung in the church building and certainly not in the auditorium. In a Catholic church, it's very common to see statues or stained glass windows or large paintings even above the altar depicting Jesus, but that's very much a no-no for the IFB. It might be acceptable in some churches to have a painting or picture of Jesus in a Sunday school room or a classroom or maybe a hallway. It would be very unusual to see one in the auditorium itself, and it would be unheard of to have one up behind the pulpit, like where it would be above the altar in a Catholic church. Having a statue of anyone in the church building is an absolute no, but especially Jesus or a saint, because that leads to idolatry. Of course, the IFB don't believe in saints, but I'll probably get to that down the road. It would be more likely to find a photo of Jack Hiles or another IFB leader in any given IFB church than a portrait of Jesus. Take from that what you will. Mm. And if someone's portrait is displayed, like if you walked into the lobby of a church and saw a large portrait of someone, it would probably be a portrait of the pastor and his wife. That's the most common portrait that you would see other than Jack Hiles or maybe another really big IFB leader. PCC type fundies are really, and like BJU fundies are really prone to this, uh, like like large fancy pictures of the pastor and his wife. I will never forget the giant oil painting of Becca Horton that is in the lobby of Crown Center at PCC. That is a weird person to have an oil painting of. I mean, it's at the institution she founded. So it's a totally normal place to have a large oil painting of her on campus. Um, when I say large, it's like 16 feet tall. It's a big oil painting. That's so, crazy. Well, on campus, if it was in the fine arts building, it would make total sense. Um, what was weird was that it was in the church building. That does feel like idolatry. That was what was odd to me. So another note on portrait type images of Jesus in the IFB, having one hung in your home is it's not banned it's definitely frowned upon because of the idolatry correlation. So if you have that, people are going to think that you pray to the image. And that's one of the IFB's big concerns is that if you have an image of Jesus, that you are going to pray to it and like put your faith in the picture rather than Jesus, which is not how iconography works at all. <laughs> This is making my head hurt. <laughs> That's just not not how any of this works. Um, 
But if church members saw that you had a picture of Jesus in your home, it's possible that they would gossip about you and say that they think you pray to the image instead of praying to Jesus and that you might be committing idolatry. Um, And you might hear a sermon about it, but it's not, they're not straight up banned the way that other things are banned. So having a photo of Jesus on your bedside table is frowned upon. Yeah, because as long as it fits the other rules about like not having long blonde hair and all of that, it would be seen as not ideal, but also not like a sin or and sin. Um, So um, I could definitely see a single unmarried IFB young woman who is like waiting for her man super off and make her into a trad wife um having a picture of jesus on her bedside table in like a jesus is my boyfriend way that i could totally see being an exception Mm. to this rule it's not for me um (laughs) there are a lot of prayer cards in my nightstand though so i really might be the pot calling the kettle black here prayer Um, cards hella catholic though because i have a well i have a mary magdalene prayer card uh, that's one of my favorite things because St. Mary Ma- St. Mary Magdalene is my girl. It's going back to yet another misconception that the IFB have about Catholics. So they think that Catholics worship the statues or the images in churches or at home, like my prayer cards. And they, they think that that's idolatry because they see Catholics praying to saints. Baptists don't believe in in like certain people being saints. They believe that everyone who is saved is a saint or everyone who's a Christian is a saint. So any religious images in general, like prayer cards, statues, candles, stained glass windows, is straight out banned in the IFB, along with any G- image of Jesus in the auditorium. I probably don't have to tell you that's not how praying to saints works. Um, it's asking for intercessory prayer. So it's like, Saint Michael, please protect me and ask God to to give you permission or to give you a mission to protect me. Or, hey, Mary, I know that you did God a pretty big favor because you birthed his child, and now he probably owes you one. Could you potentially ask him for this thing that I really need? It is no different than asking your friend to pray for you for a certain prayer request. Um, it is intercessory prayer. The only, the only theological difference is that Catholics believe that people who are already dead can intercessorily pray for you. And Baptists believe that only people who are alive can do intercessory prayer for you. I do want to point out that Jack Hiles publicly stated that he prayed to a picture of his mother and asked his mother to pray for him after she was dead. So if you have a problem with Catholics doing this, and you don't have a problem with Jack Hiles doing this, you might want to re-examine that thought because he publicly stated that he did this. They'll find a reason they're not consistent. Uh, this was called out in the 1989 letter. It just doesn't get as much attention because it's not a sex scandal. So the IFB also have a big problem with images of Jesus on the cross. Right back to the whole re-crucifying Jesus thing, the IFB teaching is that Jesus was resurrected, so images of Jesus on the cross are generally inappropriate unless it's for like teaching purposes. This is why in many IFB churches, you'll see a large empty cross displayed behind the pulpit, uh, or maybe even on the pulpit, or other places in the church building, on the sign, in the auditorium. You'll see a lot of crosses all over in some churches, but you will never see a crucifix. So a crucifix is specifically an image of Jesus on the cross that is 
seen as too Catholic. So I was never allowed to have like a crucifix necklace. I could have a cross necklace, uh, but not a crucifix. It's just anything that is like Catholic aesthetic is is they have a yes, problem. But with, do you see yeah. how they make all these like backdoor theological reasons to support? So they decide, oh, this is Catholic. I'm not going to do it. I better come up with some reasons not to do it because I can't just say it's Catholic. Yeah, I mean this. This I think is giving me some real insight into why the AS the IFB aesthetic is is what it is, and why uh, evangelical aesthetic is what it is as well. Um, because as we know, Catholicism has probably the strongest tradition of uh, religious iconography in the world. W- would you say that's accurate? I would say that's accurate. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe there's. I mean, there's Hinduism, which is older. That's true. And there's, I mean, th- I guess that we're exposed to, and also there's a billion Hindu Hindus in the world. A billion people are There's Hindus. as many as there are Catholics. Um, yeah. I would say Catholicism is up there, and I would say it has the strongest iconography of any Christian religion, for sure. As far as their iconography goes, they like they have Catholics, the Catholics, the goths of Christianity. <laughs> yeah. I mean, li- like literally gothic architecture. I mean, yeah. they, they have everything from like art to architecture to to fiber arts to you know prose poetry, mm-hmm. and I guess the the Christian denominations that are like Catholicism based but not Catholic, you know, like Lutherans and uh, and and uh, Church of England and like Episcopalian in, here mm-hmm. in America, um, they haven't really tried to distance themselves from that iconography. They've just been like, you know what. That's not what we had the issue with. What we had the issue with was X, Y, Z thing that was going on in the church at the time, or and that's why we split from them. Yeah, or not even that, but they will they will use Catholic iconography. So you will see paintings that were done for Catholic churches originally end up in the hands of Episcopal churches. When it's namely the American denominations or uh, non-denominations that reject this which makes sense as to why their design aesthetics for like the way their churches look and the way their art is and the way their their this and that and the other thing is why it looks the way that it does why their music is the way that it does because they're trying to constantly distance themselves from that Mm -hmm. it's a great point they're they're actively trying to look as not catholic as possible unfortunately what they typically go for in that pursuit is the the empty warehouse kind of aesthetic that, and I don't enjoy that aesthetic. I'm just, and you know, I know people get peace out of minimalism, but that's just not me. I need to have like four patterns in my line of vision at any given time, like jewel tones, gold, uh, dark wood furniture. Like that's what I need. So like the Catholic church, I mean, if they have a, like a, a monopoly on Gothic architecture, and the very rich color palette that they that they use, you know, there's a lot of like it's they have white, but they also have gold and like dark red, navy blue. Those are colors mm-hmm. that I often associate with Catholicism with the Catholic Church. If if you if, if you're trying to avoid that, you've got to pivot hard into neutral aesthetic. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to differentiate differentiate yourself, it's really interesting. Um, as I've looked up pictures of synagogues and seeing like what aesthetic they have synagogues tend to trend toward 
it does not look like the inside of a Catholic church, but it does not look like the inside of a non-denominational Christian Christian church either. I think that's a really neat thing. Think about it as sort of like, what was the uh, architectural themes that were going on when these buildings were built? Um, So for a lot of Catholic churches, especially the old ones, the ones that are still around these cathedrals, it's Gothic. And so now when we're building a Catholic church and we want to differentiate, we want to say, this is a Catholic church that we're building and people look at it right away and say, this is a Catholic church. They're looking at Gothic architecture. So you're going to use Gothic architecture style to make sure people know right away. For synagogues in America, at least, a lot of them were built during the early 20th century. So it's going to be a lot of like art deco, which isn't uh, is is a design philosophy that I really enjoy, and also modernism. Modernism and art deco together are fantastic, in my opinion. Just like two really complementary styles, and and so when you come out with a lot of these non denominational Christian churches, it ends up being a lot of it is kind of based around the whole mid century thing, which I do not particularly uh, uh, care for. All right, we should get back on topic. Yeah, let's get back to that. Um, So an exception to the no statues rule in the IFB would be nativity scenes. So for some reason, statues of Jesus as an adult are idolatry and evil. But statues of Jesus as a baby are fine. Even like the strictest no statues of Jesus ever churches it would be totally normal to have a nativity scene outside the building at Christmas time. Even having one in the building or on the altar of the church would not be unusual at all. No statues, unless it's Jesus as a baby. That's fine. Which brings me to Jesus's depiction in plays or drama. Most IFB churches actually allow this. Weirdly. You would think that they wouldn't. Yeah, this weird. This- <laughs> Of course, Jesus would likely be played by a white man just because that's the predominant demographic of most IFB churches. I will say the IFB were doing colorblind casting before it was cool because you could potentially see a man of any race playing Jesus just depending on who is in the church and available. Our church had some skits and dramas that we performed where Jesus appeared in modern times There's a scripture verse about if you give someone food or water in my name, so Jesus is speaking, if you give someone food or water in my name, you have given me food and water. And his point is basically treat every person in need as if they were Jesus, which is a commandment that we know the majority of Christians are absolutely great about keeping all of the time. But that verse has inspired some plays and dramas where your main character sees someone in need, they go out of their way to help them, and then later on that needy person reveals themselves to have been Jesus in disguise all along, and the main character who helped them gets blessed with something. Have you heard the Kendrick Lamar song, How Much a Dollar Cost? Uh, I think so. It's on to Pimp a Butterfly. I don't know. I think I feel like I have, but I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a great song. It's it's uh, It deals with a similar concept. So this is like this is not an unusual concept. Um, there was a whole time period in literature where this was a, a plot device that was used. Uh, I know because we studied it in a Becca literature because of course we did. That type of drama was very much allowed in my church. I saw 
whoever the Jesus character, however it was that he appeared, portrayed with racial diversity. Of course, it would always have to be a male playing Jesus, because as we learned earlier, Jesus was a manly man-man. Yeah. If you haven't seen Orgasmo, watch it. Manly man. Manly man, man. Um, On that note, images of Jesus that are approved by the IFB must absolutely always show him with short hair. We've talked about the IFB's short hair for men, long hair for women thing. For those who joined us recently, I'll give you the TLDR on that. There are New Testament verses that command that men should have short hair and women should have long hair. The modern view would be that it was a cultural signal at the time. Of course, the IFB takes this as it's a commandment forever. And it sets a lot of arbitrary rules on how short is short hair and how long is long hair. The general consensus in the IFB is that men should have hair short enough that it wouldn't touch their shirt collar in the back when it wouldn't touch their ears on the sides, which is pretty short. So Jesus in IFB images would always have to be portrayed with a haircut that meets those rules. They do a lot of retconning about how Roman soldiers kept their hair short and how they were able to shave their faces. And Jesus supposedly in IFB teaching would have had access to those same haircutting tools. I think this is BS. <laughs> um, he was a Jew, so he wouldn't have cut his beard. Right. Well, well, that's actually in the IFB teaching because in the crucifixion story, Jesus's beard is ripped out. Ow. Yeah. Mm. So, um, so that is consistent with IFB teachings that he would not have cut his beard. Um, but they do believe that he had short haircut. Of course, of course, it's totally possible. As far as I can tell, lots of men at the time did cut their hair similarly to how a lot of men now cut their hair, by which I mean they would cut it every few weeks. They would maintain a shorter haircut that was not necessarily shoulder length or mid-back length. No, and especially if you're in a hot place, you don't want to be having long hair, just just as like a comfort thing. Right. So I'm not disputing that Jesus did not necessarily have shoulder length or longer hair, I don't think he had a fade short enough to keep his hair completely off his ears and his collar. I think that's ridiculous. And if he did, how did he keep it that short during his 40 days fasting in the wilderness? Hmm? I'm imagining Jesus with like a, uh, with, with like a, a, a high bald fade. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just like a, and, and with like, like the, Jonathan used to have before he started growing it out. Yeah. Or has he started growing his hair out? So he, right now he's got the top growing long and then he's got the sides all shaved you know what i'm imagining i'm imagining jesus with like uh with like a fade and then like a cross shaved into the side of it just being like <laughs> foreshadowing yeah. <laughs> yeah so so no images of jesus with non-ifb approved hair and then ideally his robes should be no longer than about the knee there's a whole other ifb thing we don't have time for it today but They have a lot to say about men's robes and women's robes in biblical times and how they were visually different. Uh, They have to have that particular teaching to back up all the other teachings about women not wearing pants. So I've told you what isn't allowed. Portraits are a slippery slope. Statues are hard no. But what kind of images of Jesus are allowed in the IFB? So assuming that they follow all of the other rules, images in 
books and printed materials are generally okay. And this would include now like social media posts. There is some leeway on this. There is a lot of room for bargaining or excuses. So let's say you are an IFB person, you post a Facebook meme that has a image of long-haired Jesus on it and a scriptural message. If someone, you might get some minor flack at church, um, somebody saying to you, you shouldn't post this because it's got long-haired Jesus, and we all know that Jesus had short hair. But you, as the person who posted it, could just say, well, yeah, this image is inaccurate, but it's a good message and it's spreading the gospel, so it's okay. Or you might post the meme in the first place and have a caption that says, now we all know that Jesus didn't have long hair, but it's a good message. And then you get away with it. (laughs) Oh, you think people don't do that? Oh, buddy. (laughs) Please don't scroll 10 years back on my Facebook. Oh, my God. Please don't. Do you, you have the, the memory, Facebook memories? That yeah, I go through like, every day that I can handle it. I go through and delete everything. Just go, just do you at least take screenshots? Yep. Okay. Well, at can some you point. Can you see them? Nope. Can, can, okay. Uh, at some point, at some point, we'll. we'll do cringy things that Sadie yeah. used to post on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's 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 bad. Um, all of the ex fundies uh, can identify with this experience. It's fine. I delete all of the times when I would post on Facebook in Elite Speak. So that's that's good. So yeah. so you'll see and you'll see that same kind of like excuses and uh, wiggle room when it comes to printed materials. So if you've if you've got a religious book that has an image of Jesus on the cross, you, it's you know it's not banned. It's banned in statuary form. You cannot have a crucifix or a statue of Jesus on the cross or a crucifix crucifix necklace, an image in a book. Eh, you're probably going to get away with it, or an image in a book of children's Bible stories. As long as it's King James, if it shows Jesus with longer hair you're probably going to get it, or shows white Jesus, you're probably going to get away with it. Things like coloring books may or may not be allowed, depending on your camp of the IFB. I feel like, I think I had some Jesus coloring books as a kid. I certainly assume that there are parts of the IFB where it would be seen as disrespectful to color a picture of Jesus. Of course, if your coloring book has scriptures that aren't King James, you're going to have a bigger problem to begin with. Hypothetically, And I don't know if this ever happened. I honestly don't remember. But just speaking to who I was as a kid, I think if I had been given a Jesus coloring book that showed him with long hair, I would have taken a Sharpie and redrawn the image to give him short hair. (laughs) I know that I modified coloring books because I would be given coloring books with images of little girls wearing pants and I would go back over with a Sharpie and color them a skirt and then like work the legs of the pants into the image where where you could where I, I would try to make it where you couldn't see that there were originally pants there like draw a lot of flowers around her legs or something wow Man. yeah that's the thing i did as a fundy kid <laughs> also i don't recall actually doing this but speaking again to who i was hypothetically as a kid um I think if I was given a coloring book that had non-King James verses in it, 
I would likely have taken a marker and scribbled out the non-King James verse and then looked up the King James verse and rewritten that in. That's the kind of thing I would have done as a fundy child. Oh, man. That's some fundiness. Fundamentalism isn't a cult, people. Not at all. Not even a little bit. (laughs) So finally, one place that images of Jesus are given pretty much free reign is in the world of flannel graphs. Now, Gavi, do you know what a flannel graph is? No. What's a flannel graph? A flannel graph is like pre-PowerPoint. It is uh, like uh, analog PowerPoint. <laughs> it's a board covered with flannel that sits on an easel. And you have your graphics, like background art, characters, props, printed off and then backed with flannel. So you can stick your graphics on the board and they stay there but you can move them around a lot more easily than you could if it was like tape or Velcro or something holding them up to this easel. This product had business uses back in the day, like way, like many, many years ago before people figured out how to use those flip sheets of paper or PowerPoint um, before PowerPoint was invented. But after PowerPoint was invented, it's mostly been relegated to Christian Sunday school where it lives on 50 years after its time. (laughs) And most Man. people who were not raised evangelical Christian have no idea what a flannel graph is. It's true. Uh, when I was in school, we had overhead projectors. With the, so flannel graph is an even lower tech version of overhead projectors. Yeah. I mean, overhead projectors were pretty, I mean, they're pretty ratchet. And we had like markers and stuff. We had the teacher up with like the dry erase markers and the overhead projector and like the, the I had to learn how to use those for education classes at one of the cult colleges that I attended. I genuinely cannot remember which. Wow. And then I had to use, I had to learn to use flannel graph as a teenager because that was the thing that you did for Sunday school. So I taught, um, I taught multiple different Sunday school classes and junior church classes as a teenager. I volunteered in junior church when I was still young enough to be in junior church because I helped out with a puppet show that they did. And then when we shut down our puppet show for junior church was when I started working at the satellite church and I ran junior church there. So I was like 13, 14 and in charge of toddler church for like three, four, five, and six-year-olds. Um, so I did definitely did flannel graph for that. And my mom would let me use her extremely well curated flannel graph set it's like a a puppet show it's like a two-dimensional puppet show that you're doing and it's there's a little bit of a learning curve to just like being able to tell a story and have so you have your graphics in a stack in the order of which you're going to use them but remembering like which generic biblical man you assigned to be saint peter today and like who you assigned to be all these different people You've got multiple characters up on the board and you've got to be able to move them and point to them. And there's a little bit of a learning curve telling a story in images without any animation or digital tools. And of course, my mom was the queen of flannel graph and had a really good set that had all the people and all the props for all the Bible stories. So I wanted to use her set and she taught me how to work with it. But that's one place that you would really commonly see images of Jesus at IFB Church. Uh, Let's close up the IFB beliefs with the IFB teaching on what Jesus will look like in heaven. 
because I've heard a lot of really interesting theories about this. This is the kind of theoretical question that the IFBs spend a maximum amount of time on because they like to obsess over little things like this. I've heard it's like fan theories. This is like yeah. uh, reading like Star Wars fan theories or Marvel fan theories on the internet. And no, you know what it's like. It's like uh, you you don't watch Game of Thrones or, or you haven't read those books. No, I've um, read the first half of the first book. The 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 one that's going to come out eventually, hopefully, has been uh, in in the wings for more than ten years, and people are just like, it's not going to happen. So people are just making up their own theories at this point. Yeah. And there's no way to know. <laughs> well, we've been waiting on Jesus to come back for 2,000 years. So, same thing. Yeah. God's going to, what do you think is going to happen first? God's going to send Jesus back, or uh, George R.R. R. Martin is going to finish The Winds of Winter? I'll put my money on Winds of Winter. Wow. Okay. That's hot. That's a hot take. <laughs> I think that's more likely to happen in the next 10 years. Okay. Well, cool. So, uh- <laughs> So yeah, this is this is fan theory and the IFBs take everything so seriously, but they have a couple little pet topics that you just cannot prove from the Bible what it's going to be. And of course, they're all about the biblical literalism and the biblical inerrancy and the Bible has all the information that you need to know and if it's not in the Bible, you don't need to know it. So there are just these few little specific things that they will debate for fun. And this is one of them where they actually let their hair down and don't get mad over something one time for five minutes. (laughs) So, okay. Hit me with it. What's their, their Jesus will look like this in heaven fan theory. So I've heard the theory that each person. So I think, I think the predominant theory is that Jesus will look like whatever he looks like on earth. And a lot of people, there are some scripture verses that hint at the idea that he would look exactly like he did on earth, but that he would still have the wounds from the crucifixion, like that he would carry those wounds forever. Oh, because his sacrifice is going forever. Right. Also, there is um after, so Jesus died, was buried and resurrected and then spent 40 more days on earth, mostly chilling with the disciples. There was a, an apostle named Thomas who is referred to as doubting Thomas, which is where that phrase comes from. Uh, who didn't believe that it was really Jesus who had resurrected. And Jesus said, well, why don't you come stick your finger in the holes in my hands and tell me if it's really me? So based on that, Jesus in his resurrected body had, after the resurrection, still had these wounds. So that is what leads to the theory that he may have those wounds forever in heaven. Another theory, though, getting into the fun theories— I've heard the theory that each person will see Jesus differently. And this is where this kind of comes full circle. It it includes like the very, very edge of the Venn diagram of some BHI ideas, but not quite. So I've heard it theorized that in heaven, each person will see Jesus looking a lot like themselves. So you'd see your own race and background reflected in Jesus. Of course, he would still always appear as a manly man, man, uh, but, but someone of your own background. Well, this kind of makes sense because if God made man in his own image and Jesus is God, then therefore humankind looks like Jesus. Right. And also Jesus is God and could present himself however he wants. It reflects the idea that Jesus came to save all people and all races 
And I don't hate this. I find it a bit woo-woo. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, sure. But that's because I'm I'm looking at Jesus as a historical figure rather than a religious one. And since Jesus was one of my people, I feel like this can be a bit appropriative, but in more of like a white people with dreadlocks kind of way than like a Carissa Collins celebrating Pesach kind of way. You know what I'm saying? Personally, I'd be happier to think of heaven as a place of true diversity where everyone brings parts of their culture and their background and their appearance with them. So this seems a little homogenizing to me, but the theory is inherently compassionate, so I do like that part of it. I have also heard this theory the other way, which is much less popular, that we will all be transformed in heaven to look like Jesus. And I have occasionally (laughs) heard it floated that we would therefore all appear as men in heaven because we would look exactly like Jesus. So heaven is just a bunch (laughs) of Jesus clones. Obviously, I'm not as much of a fan of this one. Jesus was like five foot six. I want to say I don't think it's heaven if I'm short. If I'm short, it's not heaven. Yeah, but number one, under this theology, you're not going to heaven. Number two, if everyone is the same height, then no one is really tall or short. So you're telling me that when Bill Russell died last year, he got to heaven. God said to him, Bill Russell, you have lived a great life on earth. You are an inspiration to so many people, and you did so much for racial justice in sports. Welcome to heaven. And he gets into heaven. He walks through the gate. And he is a fucking short guy and he can't even dunk. No, because in heaven, you have a perfect body. So hypothetically, someone who has five sex would be able to dunk, obviously. How? Yeah, because you have a perfect body. I mean, but he would completely have to relearn how to play the game of basketball. Yeah, that's part of the fun of heaven for him, obviously. I don't know, man. This is... is (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so we wild. all know that the IFB will like call names and be nasty over minutia when they're doing the the ex IFB are doing it on Twitter right now. But this is like it's the end of a pastor's conference. Everybody's having like one last potluck dinner before everybody packs up and goes home. This is the argument that they pull out just for fun. <sighs> this is fundy fun. It's debating what Jesus is going to look like in heaven. Literally, I would rather go to hell. Well, the, the, you know, five minutes later, they're going to get in an argument about what the verse about no marriage in heaven means, and then they are going to get in a fight. <laughs> if I die and people are having this f-ing conversation, I will know that I am in hell. This is what <laughs> hell looks like for me. So by all means, listeners who were raised in the IFB or other fundamentalist groups, feel free to chime in in the Facebook group. I would love to know how similar the rules about depictions of Jesus were for you, but this is just what I was raised with. It's one of the few IFB gray areas, which just leads to so much controversy and arguing over every detail. I think with that, we should go take up the offering, and when we get back, we can maybe dig a little deeper into what Jesus actually might have looked like. Yes, this is really exciting, uh, and I can't wait to talk about it with you guys. 
Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We are back from our break. Now we have talked about what IFB teachings about the appearance of Jesus are. I want to take this in a different direction. I want to ask, what would Jesus, a Jewish man born in Judea 2,000 years ago, have looked like? So I have combined some of what the Bible says about the Israelites with known history and uh, j- just to try to see if I can work something out. Uh, so would you like me to tell you what I have found? Absolutely. And we should note that we are doing this all from the perspective that Jesus was a real historical figure and agnostic on whether he was the son of God or not. So we're doing it. That's You have to make a presumption in order to have this hypothetical conversation. If that's not something you believe— you can just go ahead and enjoy the historical hypothetical of what any Jewish man born in that region at that time might have looked like. All right, here we go. So in the book of Genesis, Abraham and Sarah come into Canaan from the east, come from, I, I believe it's uh, Urkazdim is, is the place where they came from, which is near the present day Naziria in southern Iraq. So they're they're from uh, uh, uh Naziria in southern Iraq, that kind of area. Jacob and Esau are fraternal twins. Esau is covered in red hair. So they're coming from... um, And Jacob and Esau are sons of Isaac by Rebecca? And then, yeah, so Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac and Rebecca have uh, fraternal twins named Jacob and Esau. Mm -hmm. Um, Esau is older. Jacob is younger. uh, But stuff happens. Technically... Technically. Well, Jacob ends up being the the um the the patriarch of, of the Jewish people. Okay, Jacob- Esau is technically older because 
as the twins were being born, Esau stuck his arm out, which anybody who has birthed a child knows is scary and dangerous um, and can lead to death and death-related symptoms in modern pregnancies with doctors. So that one creeps me out now. But Esau stuck his arm out. The midwife tied a red thread around his wrist so that she would know which child was born first because this was important at the time. Well, Esau came out. Esau came out red and and covered with hair. Yes. Um. So he was covered in red hair. Jacob, of course, his name was changed to Israel after he wrestled with the angel, and so therefore all of the nation of Israel is descended from Jacob. Mm-hmm. And. The Israelites, as we all know, in the book of uh, Genesis, they go down into Egypt and then they are enslaved for hundreds of years. Uh, so we have the story of the book of Exodus. The Israelites come out of Egypt, led by Moses. They come out of Egypt. So this is interesting, is that the Israelites are not the only people who are coming out of uh, out of Egypt during the Exodus. Um and this is really interesting. Is a, a friend of mine, according to a friend of mine who is a Chabad rabbi. Uh, he told me that when the Israelites were freed, many other slaves who were not of Israelite origin also left Egypt with the Israelites and and went with them and went with Moses. So as we know, Egypt did not only have Israelites as slaves. So they would have had slaves from anywhere that they would have had trade with. So they could have had slaves from uh, Greece or they could have had slaves from Babylonia or they could have had slaves from Ethiopia or they could have had slaves who were uh, Ishmaelites from like Arabia. Any place that Egypt conducted trade with uh, could have, according to legend, um, had descendants who were included in with the Hebrews who left Egypt for Canaan. All of these people were present at Sinai Therefore, genes from all of these diverse groups of people would have been included with the biblical Hebrews, would have been included with the the 12 tribes of Israel who went into the land of Canaan and conquered the land of Canaan and, and ruled over the land of Canaan. King David, according to legend, had red hair, which is a recessive trait that is found in uh, most of the ethnicities that we were talking about when we were talking about the biblical Israelites. And according to uh, Christian tradition, Jesus was the descendant of King David. So it is possible that he also could have inherited this trait. Yeah. First Samuel 16, 12 and, and first Samuel 17, 42 both describe David as ruddy, which means red. So there's scriptural backing uh, for this as well. Song of Solomon 510 in the King James and most other translations, lots of other translations uh, describe Solomon as white and ruddy. Com- uh, his complexion is white and red. So that sounds like something that was passed down to Solomon as well. Interesting. Okay. I actually, I looked that up in uh, my JPS version that I have uh, sitting here. And it says radiant instead of white. Some other Christian translations use dazzling or radiant as well. Did the JPS have the same word for ruddy though? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it did. Um, so it's a, it's a red complexion and you could read it as a lighter skinned and red hair complexion, or you could read it as redder skin, but it they got this, the same general ideas there. I've heard from some black Christians I, I, that they believe that that Solomon was black. But once again, being black and having red hair are also not mutually exclusive. 
Yeah. My opinion has been for a while that King David had lighter skin compared to the people around him. Not white skin, obviously, but a lighter complexion and probably red hair. Solomon, it's totally possible that he could have had black ancestry through his mother. Uh, we don't, I don't think we know what Bathsheba's ancestry was or what she looked like, but it, he could have had darker skin and red or reddish hair. Yeah, he could have looked like uh, like Blake Griffin. Um, I had to look him up, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because um, I was I, I was I was looking into this. And I'm like, well, why do people say that that King Solomon was black? And um, it's be, it comes down to I believe because his mother was Bathsheba, and she was married to Uriah the Hittite. And were were the Hittites uh, Hamites? Ooh, I don't I'm trying know. to remember this properly. Were the Hittites black? Because they're just like she was married to a Hittite. I can Google it, but that- <laughs> and there and and there's some question as to what color the Hittite. This is all like really in the reeds. I just I just know that in um that that a lot of uh, uh black Christians that I've talked to have said, oh yes, King Solomon was absolutely black. Like they that's that's just something that they were taught growing up. Um, and I can't personally speak to the 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 tr- whether or not that's true i think the thing is that that's a totally harmless proposition and it it just i don't see any reason why that should bother anybody because biblical hebrews could have had egyptian or ethiopian genes and that would have some people being born with darker skin or solomon could have had a black mother we don't know So that's just, it's not problematic and it's not historically off base. Uh, It only becomes problematic when there's a replacement teaching, like we are the real Hebrews and the, and Jewish people are imposters. That's where, that's the line. It's, it's um, a rare issue that is so well-defined. Like it's only problematic once it crosses this line. So the idea that, that Solomon could have been a black man is just is not problematic. No, I'm I'm not bothered by that. The thing that that people tend to make of this is that is that with skin color uh, and and with hair color, darker colors tend to be more dominant than lighter colors, to, and and lighter colors tend to be more recessive. So, if you remember, like, do you remember uh, doing Punnett squares in high school biology? No, I. <laughs> That's right, ACE. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, we did. A, we did Mendel. We did a little section on Mendel, but we didn't have to. I don't remember having to actually do the squares ourselves. Okay. Well, if if any of you guys, if any listeners did the the Punnett squares, it's like if a dark haired person and a blonde haired person have a child together, then that child might is like more likely to have darker hair. Uh, however. If that child has dark hair, they still carry the the DNA gene for having blonde hair. So if then they go on to have a child with somebody with blonde hair, there's a chance that the child will have blonde hair because the child gets the blonde hair gene from both parents. Um, right. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm like, that might not be 100% accurate, but that's like an example. Um, right. So the like darker hair or darker eyes are always the dominant gene, but if both parents have the gene for blood hair or blue eyes, the, there's always a chance that the kid would have it. Right. Um, 
and this is also somewhat true for skin color, but skin color is different because skin color tends to be, I mean, oftentimes it's more of a blend or it can just be one way or the other. Um, well, we've all seen pictures of uh, siblings who are full siblings, but look very different. Uh, yeah, this is all just a very ex- uh, a simple explanation of that, but I don't have uh, really time to get into all of it. We do know that during this time, as far as at least DNA goes, that during this time, the Mediterranean was kind of like a cornucopia of many different kinds of people trading between uh, Europe, North Africa, um, by sea, um, especially during the time of the Romans. And uh, there would have also been some trade with with Ethiopia as well. Yeah, um, we briefly mentioned the Ethiopian texts of scripture in the King James Version episode a few weeks back. But that also brings in the story of the Ethiopian eunuch from Acts chapter 8. I took a look at that story in some commentaries, and it turns out that some commentators, especially early Christian commentators, believed that the Ethiopian eunuch was part Jewish or fully Jewish. Yeah, and I mean, there's a whole... I thought that was really neat. Yeah, that is really neat. And there is... is um. I mean, there are, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of Ethiopian Jews. We we know this. These people exist. Um, and it's believed that their ancestry comes from people who, from, from Ethiopians and from uh, Jewish traders who are uh, coming down to that part of, of East Africa. So uh, there's, there's some other hypotheses about that, but that one seems to be the most likely one. So Basically, the the question is, what does this tell us about what Jesus looked like? Um, kind of a lot, and also not a lot. Uh, was Jesus what we consider today to be black? Probably not, but it's also not impossible. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. did did Jesus have blonde hair? Probably not, but also not entirely impossible. Like that's that's kind of the thing. Like I have a friend whose family is from Egypt, going back generations and generations and generations. She has naturally blonde hair and blue eyes. Hmm. And you would think, like, if you met her and you were looking at her, um, you would think that she was like Austrian or German. But her family is is Egyptian, and she's like Arab Egyptian from like generations and generations and generations back. So the answer to what did Jesus actually look like is, well, probably this, but also totally possible it could be any of these other like five things. Yeah. So like, yeah, the only thing that you could really point to if you were going to say Jesus had dark skin is that he was a carpenter and that being a carpenter is a job which he would have been outside a lot. Of course, Say he carried the recessive trait from his supposed ancestor, King David. Uh, he could have been just like full on, like very ginger, very like lobster boy out in the sun all day. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. And really rough time for Jesus. Uh, well, you know, Jesus came to experience all suffering known to man. <laughs> yeah. So fun note, though, <laughs> if we're going to get into the reads on Jesus and Joseph and carpentry, there is a apparently there is a lot of debate about what carpentry means and going into the Greek text for what that word means. So the I think when people hear carpentry, in modern times, we tend to think of a house builder, but that's actually the least likely option, like someone who builds houses out of wood entirely. 
more likely options are either makers of chairs and tables and cutlery, which would have actually had them indoors more, or stonemasons who built houses primarily out of stone with a wood roof, which would go back to being outdoors more. And also Jesus had to travel a lot uh, just when he was going around preaching. Right. So he would have been out in the sun doing that. So the last three years of his life, he was definitely out in the sun almost constantly, which does make me hope that he had darker skin because I know people with that like strawberry blonde, red hair or red complexion, and they all just get terrible sunburns. So I kind of hope that JC wasn't just out there with a sunburn for three years. All suffering known to man. That's <laughs> He was tempted. What is it? He was tempted. Uh, there's a, there's a verse. Anyway, there's 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 a verse about that. Get Jesus the SPF uh, one thousand is <laughs> what he needs. But what I do think is valuable in the spirit of the Jesus looked like this AI generated image meme is the actual meaning of Joseph's carpentry occupation. Uh, Joseph and by extension Jesus were what we'd now call blue collar workers. Like someone who is a plumber, it's a good job, honest, decent living, but it's not glamorous. So if we're looking for, if you're the kind of person who is looking for ways to relate to Jesus as a human on earth, I think that's where we look, is, is um, what what his occupation was and what his sort of status would have been growing up. Wow, Sadie, you're starting to sound like a radical socialist here on this podcast. On this podcast? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I like I, I I do think that no, that's that's the point that is worth making is that he was uh, a regular guy. He was a regular guy. I I think we talked about this one like a million years ago when we talked about that song about having a beer with Jesus. Yeah. Which you know, I mean, that's like it's it's a funny concept. It's a funny thing to make a joke about, but like the 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 sentiment behind it is true. The sentiment behind it is, I want to sit down with this guy and talk to him, mm-hmm. um, and like see what his is, deal was. Yeah, and I mean that's that's uh, that's something that I mean it's it's put in a funny way, but there's heart behind it. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, like if if you're talking about the Mediterranean era, there's a lot of. Uh, different kinds of people going back and forth between Europe, North Africa, Judea, Ethiopia. For this reason, in my opinion, if they were doing a movie about like a Bible story, and I don't know if this is a weird or controversial take, I don't insist in like Jewish actors being cast. You know what I'm saying? Like say they decided to do a remake of the 10 commandments without Charlton Heston with somebody else and say they cast a black actor to play Moses or say they cast like an Italian actor to play Moses or like a Latino actor to play Moses. Or if they cast like an Arab actor to play Moses, I would be totally like fine with any of those. As long as the actor gave a performance that was worthy of the role, that's kind of where, where I am on that issue. Well, also wasn't Moses's wife black. Uh, Pretty, Pretty sure. Maybe, I mean, I, I could possibly. be wrong. Uh, but that's almost, I feel like your take on who should get cast to play Moses is almost adjacent to the IFB, like, what will Jesus look like in heaven theory, that he will maybe look a little different to everyone. 
the IFB, like, kind of... I don't hate everything they have to say in this episode. This is one of those weird episodes, man, where... Oh, don't worry. Next week, you'll hate it. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Um, no, I, I agree with you. I think respect for the traditions and the culture of the time and the performance that the actor is able to give are both a bigger deal than what the actor's ancestry is or what they look like when portraying biblical characters. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's called acting. You don't have to have the same exact life experience as a character in a film in order to play that character. I, like, I know we all like to romanticize our favorite actors' performances in one way or another, being like, oh, they were able to pull from this moment that they experienced in their lives to do this scene in this movie. And that's a fun thing to read about. But if they're like a great actor, then they'll be able to do a good job by researching the role and connecting with the character. Yeah. It's not like, I mean, it's not like we're advocating for like blackface out here or anything. So. No, absolutely not. And yeah. I'm also, I think the other, another notable exception would be um, casting trans people to play trans people and casting trans people to play people in general characters in, in movies, because um, that is, that is such an issue right now. Um, yeah. But when it comes to depictions of Jesus or biblical stories, Nobody alive today has the life experience of a biblical character. Nobody alive today has the exact ethnic or racial background of a biblical character. So I think your point is very valid. So to round out this episode, why don't we go through and share some fun facts that we've learned about depictions of Jesus while doing research for it? Because I learned some very cool stuff. That sounds amazing. Let's get into it. So first fun fact that I found is that if you look at medieval depictions of Jesus, especially of like baby Jesus, you may notice something odd. Mm-hmm. Are you going to talk about homunculus? Yes. Oh my god! I didn't know. I didn't know what that meant until I, uh, I, I'd run into that word before, and I didn't know what it meant um, until I started researching for this. But the phenomena that I'm talking about here, that the homunculus, is that baby Jesus will be depicted as a fully mature adult human, but like a baby-sized fully mature adult human. Yes. Like a so a perfect example of this is um is is Madonna and Child, famous painting Madonna and Child uh by uh Berlingero, which was painted in I think 1290. I I, yeah, 1290. I just I love to bring up homunculus because it is both a theology term and an art history term and it's such a neat like crossover of those two fields yeah would you actually would you like to give the theological background for why this is yeah so there there were people in medieval times who had the religious belief that jesus was born as all-knowing from birth and that's still around. There are people who believe that the IFB teaching, what I was taught was that he he was all-knowing from birth, but all of that knowledge wasn't accessible to his human mind. So it's like all that knowledge was locked up in a storage unit until he turned 12 years old. And at that point, he became all-knowing and was able to access that human knowledge or that uh, divine knowledge. Like the storage unit got unlocked when he turned twelve years old. 
So the visual depiction is representative of him being a very like uh, uh, like all knowing and and very of being um, an all knowing toddler, which um, as parent of a toddler is a little bit terrifying. <laughs> I mean, then you wouldn't have to answer any questions. She wouldn't say why, why, why. She has not gotten into stuff. why yet. Um, oh God! I'll tell you for the Patreon what like cute thing she's doing right now. So so the idea of an all knowing toddler. I, I also terrifying assume <laughs> knows how to open baby gates, knows how to open baby locks on the cabinet. Uh, uh, fun. Yeah. No. So the, the theological question is, was, did Jesus have access to divine knowledge? Because I think the mainstream Christian belief is that Jesus as an adult had access to the mind of God. So, um, all of the things that God knows, Jesus knew when he was on earth. The, the theological question is, when did that knowledge come to him? Was it at the moment of birth? Was it pre-birth? Was it at a certain point in his life, like when he turned 12 years old or when he turned 30 and began his public ministry? So, some people would per- some artists would portray him as a tiny old man to express this belief that he was divine and all-knowing from birth and the wisdom that you get with age but he is right yeah um anyway the homunculus is an interesting trend because it's it's it was very largely a, a trend in medieval art but also at the same time the the trend in medieval art was often to portray to 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 show whoever the most important person in the painting was that person would be painted the largest since these paintings were were like very much two dimensional hmm. but in if you're talking about a madonna and child painting it seems to me like mary is always the largest figure or usually well, well yeah See, that's the thing is that if, if if it were Mary and Jesus, but Jesus were all knowing and therefore an old man, it would be weird to be painting a giant old man with a smaller woman, which just wouldn't make a lot of sense. Of course, this depiction kind of started to change with the Renaissance and the advent of of perspective and chiaroscuro light shading, which you know, was more more accurately depicting distance and 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 shape and making paintings look more three dimensional rather than previous paintings, which did look more two dimensional. On the topic of of paintings and specifically paintings of Mary and Jesus, researching for this episode, I did see a fair few paintings that were graphically depicting Jesus's birth scene, Mary's birth story. So, of course, if you heard my 2020 Christmas sermon, you know that's something I certainly appreciate a lot. Or 2021, I suppose. Can't remember which year that was. Yeah, it was 21. I, yeah. It was 21 because you had the baby in 21. Yeah. Yes, I do know that. (laughs) Of course, um, I feel like we'd be remiss to talk about medieval art and the appearance of Jesus without mentioning the growing trend of likening Jesus as a trans man. There was a sermon this so this has been Really t- tell me about this this sounds fascinating. This has been going on for years. Uh I first ran into this comparison maybe I think comparison may be a good word um or this theory 
several years ago. So it's not all that recent, but there was a sermon this fall in fall of 2022 preached by Cambridge University Junior Research Fellow Joshua Heath, which has brought more eyes to this thing that I've been seeing going around for a couple of years, and it's brought a lot of uproar. So Heath explored medieval depictions of Jesus's side wound from crucifixion and how Many medieval artists um, painted depictions of this side wound and used, um, there's not really a couth way to say this, very vaginal imagery. This is like a Georgia O'Keeffe style side wound. Um, Yeah, and they would even portray it, um, this wound, uh, separately from... Jesus's body. So it would just be a painting of a spear wound, of a bleeding spear wound, which there, there's really no way you can not make that look like a vulva. That's just that's just kind of how it is. Um, there were also a lot of 19th century Christian mystics who used similar verbal imagery for their visions of Jesus and how they interacted with his wounds from crucifixion in these visions that they had. There is an extremely long history of people, including bona fide people, saints, people who are sainted by the Catholic Church, who engage with Jesus in modern terms as something other than a cis man. So in today's terms, we might say, oh, this person seems to be engaging with Jesus as a trans woman or as a trans man or as a non-binary person with both feminine and masculine attributes and both AFAB and AMAB physical characteristics. Because, you you know, your presentation and your body parts are not the same thing. Well, I mean, that makes sense, though. If Jesus is, if every person alive can see themselves in Jesus, then... Right. But this is a lot, you know, I'm using modern terms to describe this, but this goes back literally centuries of people, you know, there are there are mystics who had these visions of Jesus and they describe Jesus using these gendered terms like not a man and not a woman or Things like that. So there's also a lot of mysticism surrounding the piercing action of the spear on the cross, likening that to penetration. There's a lot of art, including prayer books, that show these close-up, isolated images of this wound. There's also, so this has kind of led to a line of thinking, and again, this is old, this is very old thinking, that this is on purpose. This is designed by God to be an analogy that his wounds are the birth canal through which we are born again into salvation, which I don't need to sit here and decide, do I believe it or do I not believe it to just go, wow, that is so fascinating. That is very interesting. Like, I love that that is a theory and I love that. So like, I'm sure that And this is how I approach theology. Um, A lot of times I see something and I know that one day I will probably sit down and have a whole, you know, study and examination of 
well, do I believe this or not? But when I first come across something like that, I don't feel like I have to. And that's a big part of being set free from the IFB. I don't feel like I have to immediately sit down and go, okay, what's the be- what's the scriptural backing? What's the traditional backing? Do I believe this? Do I not believe this? Freedom for, from the IFB, for me, looks a lot like just being able to pick up that belief and take a look at it and appreciate how neat it is. And, oh, I've never seen something like this before. This is really fun. And not force myself into that immediate conversation of I believe this or I do not believe this. Of course, if you're still in that IFB mindset, you would be thinking, like, say you were like fresh out of the IFB and you encountered this theology. Would you be thinking, if I believe this, does that mean I'm not going to heaven? Or if I don't believe this, does it mean that I'm not going to heaven or something? Well, I think from from the IFB standpoint, it would be like, oh, no, of course I don't believe this because this doesn't this is not something I was taught in the IFB, and because this comes from extra-biblical traditions of the Catholic Church and of mystics and saints. I think if you were trying to pick a doctrine, you would feel pressure to immediately say, yes, I believe that, or no, I don't. It's like time pressure. It's like, you got to do it now. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's the thing that I like about having this show, is that we, we don't really have to 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 make those decisions we can just talk about it and we can just have fun talking about this sort of thing. Yeah. That is that is so, really fascinating to to read about. And it's not even some new fangled thing that oh the the liberal Christians are coming up with some No, not at all. perversion of the <laughs> gospels to make Jesus queer. I mean, don't get me started on the Judas and Mary love triangle. Wait, what wait, what? I mean, is that a I my the the idea is that Je- Jesus and Judas Iscariot and Jesus and Mary Magdalene were in some sort of romantic entanglement and if you know some people would say oh it was not sexual but romantic and other people would say oh yeah it was sexual um but that those romantic bonds were part of what led to Judas selling out Jesus. So whose tradition is that? That um... Andrew Lloyd Webber's mostly. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's like, it's like that's in Jesus Christ. Like that's like hinted at in Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, is but that no, like it, it a... does not come from him. It's just like a like a subtext that people tend to pick up on and go, hmm, I wonder. Because that's the sort of thing where I I I, I don't want to say. If that was true, it would have been stated explicitly. But there's a lot of things that are are like read into like if you got the context of the time, then you would have understood that this was going on. Well, I mean, what I read from from uh, the actual scripture is I think that I don't necessarily see a romantic or sexual connection between either of those people and Jesus, but I do see a friendship, like a jealousy. Like everybody, the you, the people who followed Jesus mm. believed him to be the Messiah, and believed him to be like this great political leader, and believed him to be a revolutionary thought leader in spirituality. So everybody wanted to be his best friend, and everybody wanted to be like the most important to him. There's another story in New Testament where uh, the mother of two of Jesus's disciples comes to him and says, "Lord." When you come into your kingdom, my request is, 
please make one of my sons your right-hand man and make the other one of my sons like your number three guy. Like, put my sons in positions of power when you come into your kingdom. And she asked, the way she phrased that was, have one sit at your right hand and one sit at your left. And Jesus rebuked her. Like, why are you chasing power? Don't you know that my kingdom is not a kingdom of power on earth? My kingdom is spiritual. Man, that's really interesting. So that's an example. Sorry, go ahead. No, just because we because we talked about Jim Jones last week, and you know who was in his inner circle and who wasn't in his inner circle was like a a contentious issue within that Mm -hmm. group. So, Mm. so disciples, mothers were coming to Jesus and saying, "Will you please do me this favor? Will you honor my sons? Will you give them power when you become king?" And he's correcting her very harshly and saying, that is not what I'm here for. That political power or a kingdom here on earth is not what I'm here for. But that is an example of people vying for that top spot. They want to be Jesus's number one guy. And I, what I actually read into the text is Judas and Mary Magdalene being two of his closest friends, best buddies, most emotionally intimate as friends with him. And the two of them, that's the competition, is is the two of them both wanting to be his best friend. But, uh, you know, that's just my, my opinion. That's really interesting. Thanks for, for explaining all that to me. I, you know, just having not grown up with all of this stuff, it's really interesting to hear somebody explain it to me with with all of the the context around it. But that's there's that's just there's so many layers because yeah. we have scripture, and as we talked about a few weeks ago, how you know how did scripture get here, and who had influence over scripture, or does it come directly from God? How do we trust the exact accuracy of what we have? And then you have church tradition, uh, the Catholic Church having a rich tradition about these people who are saints in the church and um extra biblical tradition so the um the idea that so mary magdalene is like like i said earlier mary magdalene is my girl i like to get to know everything about her because i think she's really neat the the catholic tradition is that after the death of jesus and his resurrection and then eventual assumption into heaven mary magdalene traveled as an apostle. So just like the apostle Thomas went and preached the gospel in India, just like the apostle Paul preached the gospel around the Near East, uh, Mary Magdalene became an apostle and she traveled throughout France and Northern Italy, I believe. And she is now buried at um, a monastery in France. I think I'm I think I'm correct. But this place, this Catholic institution in France claims to have the skeleton of Mary Magdalene. And so now you want to go see that, don't you? Yeah, they just like got it on display. There's like a bunch of jewelry and stuff on it. And as somebody who loves creepy shit and also loves Mary Magdalene, this is the place I most want to be. That's fascinating. That's I'm I'm really I'm Wow. Isn't it? It's um, neat. So we've got like, you know, we've got these extra biblical traditions that come from either church tradition uh, or other denominations traditions or verbal retellings of this story that have been going on for thousands of years. 
Uh, and then we have individual beliefs, um, like the IFB, they kind of have their own little bubble and they've got their own little beliefs from how they interpret scripture and what biblical literalism means to them. And, and there's just, there's all this room for discussion and opinion. And I love it. So my personal opinion back to the, uh, was Jesus being portrayed as a trans man? Is it possible that he was? That whole thing that is not new, but is kind of trending right now. My personal opinion is that he was assigned male at birth, but I think there's a lot of value in looking at Jesus both in personality and soul, but also in body as someone who can relate to all of us. I think it's more than okay to conceptualize Jesus as someone who can relate to cis men, cis women, trans people, non-binary people, or even someone who shares certain attributes with all of those types of people. Um, just like the idea of believing that Solomon was a Black man, believing that Jesus can relate to anybody, th- that is totally non-problematic, in my opinion. Like we said earlier in this episode, if Jesus is God... um as as Christians believe, um, and God made man in His image, then for then it only reasons that attributes of every person would be found in Jesus. If you believe that Jesus is God, like that, that's just like basic logical steps. Of course, I don't look at Jesus as a re- as like a personal religious figure. Um, I view him more like historical. Mm-hmm. rather than anything else. So to me, this is all academic anyway, and it doesn't really have any bearing on my life. I just think it's an interesting topic to talk about. And that's one of the reasons why I was so excited to talk about it today. Well, I'm really glad that you pushed for us to do this episode because you just said it so well. This has got additional significance to people who are Christians, but I think there's something here for everybody, even if it's just purely academic. And even for, I'm sure we have listeners who don't believe that Jesus existed at all as a historical figure. Some people don't. And I've read about that. And I'm like, huh, that's inter- like, I don't even know. I, I, wouldn't I, that, I, have- I mean, wouldn't that be crazy if yeah. like so many people have built their lives around the existence of this person and they turned out not to exist? Well, I've heard that, um, I've heard some people have takes that Jesus was actually multiple people. Or yeah, that they combine stories from different. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I I don't know which one. Um, I you know I wasn't there. I don't know. Um, See, like, I the I think the reason that I love talking about this is something that I spoke about earlier, but may have ended up on the Patreon. Um, that this is what freedom from the IFB means to me. It's being able to talk about these things in the hypothetical and not being terrified of getting it wrong. I just, I don't have fear of, of talking about these hypotheticals of what was the relationship between Jesus and Judas and Mary Magdalene or uh, what was, what does, what does a virgin birth mean or what would Jesus have looked like? Um, I don't have that fear reaction anymore. And when I first started deconstructing and, and learning about these things or talking about these things with other people, I would have trouble sleeping at night. Really? Yeah, because I thought God was going to strike me dead in my sleep for heresy. Wow. <laughs> but I, you know, I have outgrown through a lot of work and a lot of time 
and a fair bit of therapy, I have outgrown that fear hey. reaction. <laughs> Shout out to everyone who's ever been Sadie's therapist doing God's work. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, have, I have been able to, to outgrow that fear reaction and just truly enjoy this hypothetical conversation and walk away knowing what I believe and what's still in question for me and feeling okay that so many things are still in question for me. So I think this is a valuable discussion um, for everybody. I think this is a, a neat discussion to have, and I'm really glad we had it. And also, I think I, it was a good topic for us to get out of the way early this year. Um, because at some point this year, we're going to have to talk about uh, Black Hebrew Israelites because I got a DM from uh, like a Twitter DM from a rabbi specifically asking us to talk about Black Hebrew Israelites on our podcast. Um, uh, I really yeah. did not want to cover that. <laughs> Neither did I, but like now, like it's, it's, we've mentioned it in the past. And like now that Kanye and Kyrie have, have done their, th I'm like, uh, I guess we got to talk about this now, but that's, that's going to come at some point in the future. Uh, but, so what's, yeah. what's next week though? Yeah. Next week we're doing, we're doing IFB children's songs next week, aren't we? We're doing, we are indeed doing IFB children's songs. Uh, I went through and I made a huge list of I think about 35 or 40 IFB children's songs. We probably won't talk about all of them, uh, but I went through and found YouTube links for all of them so that Gavi can be traumatized along with the rest of us. She sent me one of them and it was straight up nightmare fuel. I don't like that one. I that one is not. <laughs> so the song is a song I grew up singing every Sunday. For those of you who did grow up fundamentalist, the song is Father Abraham. Um, the video I found has some weird costume choices, uh, and like that combined with little kids singing is real creepy. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, cause we've done, uh, we did patch the pirate one time, but then our patch the pirate episode got copyright strikes against it. So I had to take it off all the streaming platforms. Um, so this is going to be a good topic to revisit from maybe a broader perspective than just looking at one artist. I, I we're going to talk about Patch the Pirate probably during we the episode. We can talk about Patch yeah, the well, Pirate. We, we can. I just I'm I'm still mad that that one got copyright strikes because I know that everything we did was fair use. Well, the thing is that it wasn't just like one artist music that we were using because we had clips from patch the pirate and then we had all of the clips from all of the songs that patch the pirate was ripping off and so you missed a really good alliteration opportunity there patch the pirate plagiarized oh yeah patch the plagiarist is uh <laughs> it, that's what we're gonna call him now patch the Pla no that that episode uh because because we just had like because he ripped off like the music man and so we put a music man uh song in there he ripped yeah. off um like a, a couple of other things. Um, and it, I, I think especially musical theater, they get, they get really, um, they're, they're extremely diligent with their making sure that people are, are obeying copyright law with, with mm. musical theater stuff, just because it's not just the, um, the music that like the actual audio recordings of the music, they also do it that with like publishing and with the, which the, is how Scamilton got busted. And yeah, it was Scamilton and like sheet music as well. 
Like it's all it's all of that stuff. And they just have people who, you know, if somebody owns the copyright to it, they will just go after everybody no matter what. And so that's why that episode had to get pulled. Um, Alexander Hamilton, before you go off to dual burr, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior? (laughs) I can't wait until we get to do Scamilton until we get to talk about uh, Scamilton. We can just pull some stuff from Scamilton and talk about that next week and put it on the Patreon. No, Scamilton needs its own episode, Sadie. You know that that like if we bring up Scamilton in an episode, that we're going to talk about Scamilton for at least like an hour. That's I know. especially now that I live in the city where Hamilton happened. Um, yes. Much of it uh, in in the room where it happened is actually three blocks from my apartment. So. Uh, so anyway, go birds. Uh, uh, we, we will be doing IFB children songs next week. I will figure out a way to make it less triggering somehow so that hopefully most of our listeners can enjoy it. We'll, we'll yeah. see then. I'm, I promise I'm going to try to make it fun. Okay. Well, that's very cool. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, once again, I'm Gabrielle Hakoen. I'm here with Sadie. Uh, and you can follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast on Twitter at Leaving Eden Pod. Uh, join our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. Join our subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Anywhere else that you want to plug Sadie before you plug your social media. Anyway, don't forget to check out the Vashti Initiative uh, virtual forum on spiritual abuse. They will be talking with some authors who have written books about the topic. You can find ticket information uh, on their website, which is vashtiinitiative.org, V-A-S-H-T-I-I-N-I-T-I-A-T-I-V-E.org. Um And if you decide to buy tickets to that event and you would like 50% off, you can use our code EDEN, E-D-E-N, for discounted tickets. And you want to plug your social media? Yes. You can find me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, on Twitter at Hell Yeah Sadie, and on TikTok, if it still exists, at Sadie Carpenter One. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You guys have a great day. Bye-bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.